This is Brandon M. Crooker, and you're listening to the Apostolic Theory Podcast. Today, we've got a very special guest with us. I'm super excited about this particular episode because um, I, I think this is important, and I think I think we need to uh, take time to digest uh, what our, our guest is going to share with us today, um, and, and maybe even help us uh, look at things from a new perspective uh, about how we um, operate uh, as a church, as a whole. Uh, but but today we have uh, brother and pastor Jacob Jones with us. Uh, Go ahead and just introduce yourself. Tell the listeners a bit about you, your ministry, and where you are right now. Sure. Thank, thanks, Brandon. I appreciate you uh, bringing me on. This is an honor to get to share my passion. Uh, my name is Jacob Jones. As you mentioned, I am from Decatur, Alabama. I'm actually from a smaller town about an hour and a half away in Alabama. But for the past 16 years, I've lived in Southern California, and God called me back to Alabama to plant a church in Decatur, Alabama, which... The name of our church is called River City Pentecostals because one of the common nicknames for Decatur is River City. We're sitting right on the Tennessee River about an hour and a half south of Nashville to kind of give you an idea of where we're at. And uh, we have a small church that's, um, if you're watching the video, I don't know if everyone on the podcast is going to see a video of this, but that's our little church behind us. We're in a storefront. It's about 1,500 square feet. And we're averaging about 15 to 20 on Sundays right now. We're brand new. We just started this year. So we're we're looking at things from a little bit different perspective than an established church. And uh, we've, you know, my wife and I have gone to launch training and we've gone to apostolic conference. And we've talked to other missionaries that are North American missionaries currently in the field right now. And a lot of us are talking about some of the same things and some some of the stuff is crazy ideas that i thought that only god was giving me and then i'd go talk to another missionary we're we're all kind of on the same same wavelength right now and i really do believe that god is preparing the church for a north american harvest in these last days wow well man i'm i'm excited to uh hear a little bit about your thoughts i know we've you've shared a few notes with me and uh, talked a little bit uh, about what you're passionate about and and what you um, this sort of uh, process uh, maybe that's not the best word but the, just just how it's all unfolding um, yeah. but just uh, what you're passionate about let's talk about what you're passionate about yeah I think um, I think most churches today are, have at least thought about church growth and i know that word means you know something kind of different to different people you know a big church is thinking how do we get a little bit bigger but as a missionary church we're just like hey can we just get one new person in right so church growth is is a little bit different from our perspective but uh in recently i read brother bernard's book uh reaching austin great book if you haven't read it i, I recommend it he details and you know how detailed he gets he I mean, he kept notes from like 1993 all the way to like 2008 of like everything that happened in that church and you can almost use that as a guide of like okay if i want to grow a church of 1500 people in a major metropolitan area like i could probably do exactly what he did um the problem is not all of us are brother bernard right there's not he's a he's a high level leader and not all of us have that and i think and that's one of the things i want to kind of hit on probably later 
is that it pro- it would take the pressure off a lot of people if they wouldn't if they would not expect themselves to or measure themselves against a high level leader like Brother Bernard. All of us, I believe, are capable of pastoring a church of a hundred people, and so you know, don't think you're not successful because you're not building a church of fifteen hundred. Um, one of the things that I got out of that book, though, was he said there are three things that any growing church must do well. He said you got to attract visitors, you got to convert those visitors, and you've got to retain those converts. And and he also had a master class on Ministry Central, and I was on that Zoom uh, live session talking, and I was kind of asking questions as well, and I took some notes from that. And he said the way that he uh, – attractive visitors and that's kind of the main thing that a that a that a nam church is trying to do is like we're just trying to get people to get in the door i want you to come to our church and experience a move of god and let's get in the bible study so how do you attract visitors and he said this is going to change as you grow but uh the main thing he does is advertising is going to be about 10 percent of attracting visitors cold contacts from door knocking or direct mailers or things like that is about five percent and the biggest way that they were attracting visitors were from personal contacts from people they've already won reaching their friends and families and co-workers and so forth their neighbors so how do you make personal contacts if you're a brand new church so that's that's kind of where we're at right now i'm sitting here like what do i do all that we have is advertising and cold contacts so we only have that so We've got to get people to start using those people to reach personal contacts. So as I began thinking through those things, I'm like, how do we do this if we don't, you know, if we don't really have the main way that, you know, you reach people is through personal contacts. We don't have those people to do that. Uh, we were, we came to Decatur not knowing anyone, just my wife and I. Uh, no one, we had no relationships, no one. We met our first people when we moved in, uh, one of our neighbors brought us cookies as we're moving boxes. That was the first contact we made. So we knew no one here. So how are we supposed to read? It takes a long time to, to develop a personal contact. Um, and so I started thinking about this and, and I've had time to think about it. And I started looking at what are our methods for church planning? And, and if you listen to the name podcast, uh, you, you hear, I think it was, uh, brother Sistrunk or Brother uh, Young Youngblood, who mentioned the parachute method, and, and I don't know if you've heard of that method before. Uh, you're up there close to where my, my uncle actually pastors in uh, Cranston, Rhode Island. I don't know if you know him, uh, Russell Farmer. He, I mean, he did the parachute method. They just dropped into Cranston, Rhode Island, and they've been building the church there for for a couple of decades. And that's the same thing we did. And the parachute method is basically like two people go into a place they've never been to before. They don't know anyone. They don't have any contacts or anything. And you're just you're just going to dig it out. And that's that's how I think a lot of our churches are planted. There's nothing wrong with that. But I do believe that the parachute method is only being used because maybe some of the other better methods weren't being implemented. It's it's you're doing the parachute method out of necessity because God calls you to a place. A place needs you know a city needs a church, and there's no other, nobody else is trying to reach it. So somebody's got to go, right? Um, the daughter work method is another common method that, that we use. And I think the daughter work method is a great method. If you go and look at North American Missions website, they kind of have a model of how, how that's supposed to work. It starts with 
Bible studies and then a home Bible study group and then a preaching point, which turns into a daughter work, which eventually turns into an autonomous church. And the cycle is supposed to continue, send out more. It, it, it's a great method if you do it correctly. Uh, what ends up happening, though, and what I have seen, it's not probably not always true, but a lot of times I think the reason why daughter works don't work out well is because a daughter work, if if you don't support that daughter work, if the mother church is not you know, really supporting them, then it ends up being just the parachute method in disguise, right? It's like, yeah, we're the mother church, but if we're not financially supporting you and giving you all the support you need, then it ends up uh, not really being a true daughter work. And uh, I know you interviewed Darren Davis from Alabama, and he's he's big on the campus method, and I listened to that episode as well, and I think that's a great, what they're doing down there is great. Uh, I think he has three campuses now. Other sure. people are doing this around the country. It's great. I, when I hear it, I'm like, there's there's not much difference in my mind between the campus method and how a daughter work should work. Like I personally think that if you if you're doing the daughter, there's an example in the UPCI manual of a daughter work policy, and um, when you read through that, it's like, oh wow, I don't think many people are doing it that way. <laughs> it's like you should you should be providing financial support to the pastor of the daughter work. You should be securing the building for them. You should be all the stuff that I think campus method is, is doing and kind of improving upon. And so, and not all of the, when I, when I mention these things, I don't, I don't personally think any one of them is better than another. It's just, if you do them correctly, I think they all are good models. And then of course we have um, Metro missions. And I think, this is great. I have a friend of mine. Uh, he was my youth pastor, actually, Lane Coon. He, he's a metro missionary to the Atlanta area. And I love it because you're raising all the money before you go to a metropolitan area and you're able to just spend the beginning of your those early stages just going full time at it. And it's 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 similar to how we do foreign missions. Right. They, they raise money and they go out and do it. So the metro mission it's great. It meets a need. I think the biggest need that it meets is that you have a lot of time. A lot of times churches, it's, it's, it seems more, uh, it makes more sense to plant on the edges of a large city because you don't want to deal with the financial costs of being downtown. You don't want to deal with building codes and all that stuff. So what ends up happening is there's a lot of people in the rural areas around the metro, but then there's nobody actually in the city. And so metro missions, I think, is meeting that that thing and then so as i began looking at all these different methods i started thinking like is there is there another way to do this not necessarily a better way just is there another way and i started coming up with this idea um and i called it the timothy project and uh my wife was like oh i really like that name um but my idea was like kind of looking at like what paul did like paul he didn't go plant a church in one city and then send somebody out somewhere else. He, he went, he established it. He was there for two or three years, trained up a disciple to take over that church. And then he went somewhere else. Right. And, um, I personally, I think that that's what God's calling me to do. As I begin telling people about this, they're like, Hey, I think I've heard of other people that have actually done that before. So it's, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, but, uh, someone else has already done it and figured it out. But um, I, I do believe that there are some benefits to this. One of the main benefits, I think, is that experience factor, right? Because when you think about 
church planning, some of the big issues you're going to face is financing it. It costs money, right? Especially if you're moving from somewhere else and you're going to, you don't have a job there yet. You got to secure a job. So financing is a, is a big piece of it. Christmas for Christ is helping with that. I wish more of our churches would get involved and get a burden for giving to Christmas for Christ. It's a huge deal. Uh, when, when you can get a check every month from headquarters to help you pay for a storefront like this behind me, like that just takes a huge load off of the beginning uh, stages of a church plant. Training, that's a huge issue. Uh, I think the training pieces, we're getting way better at that. We got launch training. We got Ministry Central we got all kinds of training, uh, but the experience pieces, you can't teach somebody that like they're going to learn, you know, trial by fire or, or like, you know, and that's how that's how most church planners learn. It's like I, and, and one of the things that that kind of opened my eyes to this is I got here the same time I got to Decatur about 35 minutes away. A church planner started the same year, started planning a church in South Huntsville. And he's already light years ahead of me. Well, he's already planted two churches before. And I'm calling him saying, like, how do I do this? How do I do that? And he's like, oh, it's simple. Like, just do this. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he's already, so he's got experience that I didn't have. And um, I, I think that the Timothy method that, I, that, I, that I'm, I'm going to implement here in the Decatur area takes it, it handles that experience issue right because i i'm going to have experience why send out someone with no experience to the next town when i can go there and it also there's another uh piece of it too in launch training they talk about having a team right the benefits of having a team and it was great we're all like yeah we're gonna have a team like where do we get this team and they're like well you're not really gonna be able to get the team like like, oh, do I, can we get people from other churches? No, don't ask anybody from other churches. And it's like, okay, where's this team come from? It's like, we're all, everyone's asking the same question. And finally they're like, look, God's calling you to that place. He's also calling other people there. And I do believe that. Um, but what if they don't answer the call? You don't have a team at that point, right? You just show up and you're like, where's the team? Um, I'm like, can I call this other person? They're like, no, don't call them. Like, you can, you can ask their pastor. And then if their pastor says you can talk to them, then maybe. But so the whole like having a team is really hard to do uh, with our the way we uh, run, our way we operate. Uh, and I'm all for ministerial ethics. I really am. I'm not knocking that. It's just we we've created a way, you know, we've made it difficult to say like, hey, can we get help from some people, uh, even if it's for a short term? Like it seems like a taboo thing to ask for. You're supposed to just be on your own, it seems like, sometimes. And so with the Timothy Project, if you build up a church, it's similar to what they're doing with the campus pro the campus method. You can take a team of people to that, to that next church plant. Now you've got experience. You've got a team. You've already got financing and everything from the mother church. And it's like, you're, you're, how much faster would, can we plant churches if we, if we did them that way? And so that's one one idea that I've been working on. And then uh, another idea that I actually got from someone else in Canada, and it's such a good idea. I have to, I have to share it in case anybody listens and like they implement this as well. But he told me about the church that he is planting in Canada. Uh, another independent apostolic minister called him from 10 hours away and said, I'm retiring. I'm done. Either you can take my church. Or I'm closing the doors. And he's like, well, I'm not, you know, let a church shut down 
So he's making the drive 10 hours on Sunday. Sunday morning in his church, 10 hours he's driving and he goes to church uh, on the other side of his province. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. And he said, yeah, well, what's even crazier is that on that 10 hour drive, I passed by 10 cities that don't have a church. And he's like, man, I, I feel such a burden to plant a church in each one of them. But how can I do it? Like, I, I, I'm one person. So he came up with this idea. He built a Facebook page, a website, Instagram, a logo, and everything for every one of those cities called Pentecostals of Blank. And when he live streams his service, he pushes it to all of them. And he's like, as soon as somebody sends me a message and says, hey, I'm interested in a Bible study or whatever. He's like, boom, we got a church. And so I think that's a great idea. I think if, you know, I, I'm like, can we do that in other places? Now here where I'm at, you got to get approval. It's like, can we start a church there? Someone's going to be like, whoa, you started a church there? We, you know, so there's that issue that you got to deal with. But if you can do it, I think, man, that would be a great idea to say, like, let's have a virtual church there until somebody takes a bite. And it's like, boom, now we got a church. So that's just kind of some of the the ideas that I've been having around around church planning that um, that I'd like to see, like n- not not necessarily better ways to do it, but like let's let's throw some more models out there to say, hey, maybe maybe the campus method isn't working where you're at. Try this. Like maybe you know daughter work isn't working, so try this. And that's kind of where I go uh, with my thoughts on that stuff. Wow, that's tremendous. So, what are your thoughts on once you have um, once you have an established group of people? How do you think? Yeah. How do you think you instill in those people this sort of mindset that you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's got to start from the beginning. And that's uh, it's a cultural thing. And culture comes from how we talk. And so, you know, I got you can't I don't think you can see it, but I've got our our mission statement up on the huge on a poster right up behind where I'm preaching. It's like uh, I know it's I know it got popular for a while to have like the little three word mission statements like connect, grow, serve. And it's like so people can remember it. But then they also have to remember, like, what does connect mean? What does grow mean? What, right. So they still it, the issue is like you've got a mission and you want people to know what it is and stay focused on it. And uh, I'm nothing against anyone that does the three word thing. But I was like, no, I want to make sure they know like this is our mission. And so I put our mission is to establish a spirit-filled church in the city of Decatur for people searching for a healing, peace, and hope, right? Like, that's, that's our mission. But then I said, here's our vision. I want us to create a, create a launching pad for worldwide apostolic revival. It's like, what? This is a little church plan. How are we going to do that? It's like, from the very beginning, I'm like, we're going to be outward focused. We're going to plant churches in other parts of the city. We're going to plant churches in the next town. We're going to be giving to move the missions. We're going to be giving to Christmas for Christ. Eventually, I want to set up a school of missions. Like, I, And I continue to talk about these things. Like, This is always on the forefront of being outward focused. And you can, and you can, never, you can never allow – got to basically set the standard at the beginning and say – this is what kind of church we're going to have. We're going to have a church that's outward focused. We're going to be reaching the community. And um, I believe if you keep talking about it and you keep 
saying it, other people are going to get on board and start saying it as well. You create the culture with what you're talking about. If you're talking about negative things, if you're talking about how, you know, we're not growing and we're, oh, poor, old, like that's that's the culture you're going to create. But if you're saying, hey, this is a mission-minded church. God's going to send revival to this church. We're going to have miracles in this church, and we're going to be a, a launching pad for worldwide apostolic revival. Then you, you build that culture from the beginning. Absolutely. That's very well said. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of... You know, that's that's really where it's at. It's, it's what you're it's how you're talking It's how you're, you know, and, it, and it's contagious. It gets on me like it's really contagious. And, and it's it's start, and not just locally, but I think other churches around the state are going to start noticing like, wait a second, that's a NAM church there. And how much do they give to CFC? Like, <laughs> it's like we're raising, we're selling stuff we're we're doing all this stuff cuz we're mission minded and and when you get mission minded uh i think it's it's you know i think and i was thinking about this the other day is like if we could get to the point where we realize you know this is not my city this is not my church this is this is his city this is his church right i'm not building my kingdom i'm building his kingdom and and if we get that kingdom mindset and we start, and I really truly believe that this next generation of missionaries, I'm really excited about it because we went to Apostolic Conference in uh, Madison, um, yeah, Madison, Mississippi, and great conference. I mean, phenomenal conference. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Love the Dillons. Uh, yes, the Dillons <laughs> are great. They treated us like royalty. I'm not saying anything you probably haven't heard before, but... Um, I mean, from the first service, I was like, I'm ready to go back to Decatur. <laughs> like, let's go. So we were, we were super pumped up. But one of the greatest things about that is sitting around the round tables for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with other missionaries and set like the crazy things that I feel like I could never talk to anyone about. I talked to them about it and they're like, we're thinking the same thing. I'm like, I feel like God's told me I'm planting seven churches and this other guy's like, well, I'm planting 10. And I'm like, okay, all right. And I tell my wife, like, see, I'm not crazy. My wife's like, we're going to do one at a time, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it's there. It seems like, um, a lot of the missionaries are, are, they're forgetting about, you know, they're kind of putting aside some of the things that have slowed us down, I think in the past. And we're thinking more like, how many churches can I plant in my, in my city? Like how many in this area, like if we work together, we could, we could do more. And so that's, that's, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing those kind of things happen. Absolutely. And you, so you talked a little bit about, um, and you said it really well when you were talking about, uh, it's not our church, it's God's church. Yeah. Um, yep. And what we face, I think, often um and, and maybe the politics of it are aren't as bad uh where you're from but in maine they're they're pretty bad it's um, bad everywhere bro <laughs> and uh so you know it doesn't we're not concerned about each town having a church we're concerned about how close is this town to my church yeah yeah you you plant a church here, you're going to take people away from me or people away from them, and and and, and instead of yeah. this being a a radius thing, it's the franchisee mindset is what I call it. It's I recently about 
three stores down in the same storefront um, is a is a is a small business that it would have been it's it would be perfect for a pastor because it's a by appointment only and and I work a full time job now I get to work from home which is awesome uh, and I work in the IT industry and I've I've been doing it for so long now where it's like I'm not handling all the trouble tickets they only call me when it's a big deal right so so I, my time is somewhat but I still got to be in front of a computer all day and so I want to get to a place where eventually I can go make those hospital visits when our church gets bigger and, and funerals and babies being born and all that stuff. So I know eventually my time is going to have to shift. And so I'm always looking for some other opportunity. Um, and it seemed like one almost came up where this it's a franchise um, and they're selling something. And they had in the beginning, they were doing great. They were like, man, we're nobody's near us. We're just selling, selling, selling. And they had neutral zones and they had certain marketing territories that were theirs. And then all of a sudden someone came in just north of here. And one of the areas that was a buffer or neutral zone between them, somehow their contract got written incorrectly. And it was given to them as exclusive marketing rights. And the business here was like, man, we're only 10 minutes from there. And that was supposed to be a neutral zone. We were getting a bunch of business from there. And it kind of started hurting them a lot. So they're like, man, that's hurting our bottom dollar, right? So uh, they were a little upset about it to the point where they were about to get out and give it to us. I'm like, I don't know if I want it now that you guys are saying that it's that it's so bad. Um, and so when I, as I was thinking about how they were like so upset, like, man, they're able to advertise in this area. And that was supposed – I'm like, man, can we get like that sometimes with our churches and be wow. like, well, those people – you know, it's – Imagine if other denominations were like, like the Baptist churches are across the street from each other, right? It's like, you can't throw a rock in Alabama and not hit a Baptist church. And it's like, but we, but we're okay with being two hours away from each other. Come on. Like that's, that's too. And I think what it kind of boils down to is it goes back to what I was saying earlier is we have this pressure on us to build a new life Austin or to build a POA and when we hit that 100 mark or that 150 mark and we can't go past it, we think the issue is that people are, you know, we start looking for problems like, oh, well, it's because these people are taking people from me. And it's, uh, you know, if I can't get past 100 by myself, somebody else comes in. How can how can both of us get past 100? It's not enough. So I, I think if we took the pressure off and said, you don't need to build a new life, Austin, like don't don't try to build a church of 1500. There's plenty of room for several 100-person churches in that city, and every person can lead 100 people. That's the limit, and we'll, we might talk about that in a minute where it's like there's a limit where one person can only handle so many phone calls, so many hospital visits, so many text messages from, from the widows, and all. You know, even the, even the apostles were like, hold on, we need some people to come in here and handle the business of the church in Acts chapter 6. And when yeah. they did that, the Bible said the disciples were multiplied. It's like when you start dividing up the load, that's when the multiplication comes. And it's like we're all like, I think we all have this problem. Like a lot of us have this problem where we want to control everything because we want it to be done right. And it's like when you uh, it, I think a good exercise would be for you to, to to draw out an organizational chart for your church and realize no business in America could run like that. It's like 
every single person reports to the pastor. And you're like, oh, well, no, no, no. Those people report to the Sunday school director. Okay. Well, if you've delegated responsibility without delegating authority, then that they're not really reporting to the Sunday school director. They're reporting to you. If, like, if that Sunday school director can't make decisions without coming to you, then there's still everything's still coming to you. And that bottleneck is why we're stuck at 100. That's why we're stuck at 150. It's not because you're not successful. It's not because you're doing something wrong. It's because that's just a natural bottleneck. And the only way beyond that bottleneck is to start granting authority to people and bringing in other people to help you carry that load. If you'll do that, I believe you can have a new life, Boston. You can have a POA. You can have Madison Church. Like you can do it if you if you allow power or authority to be used by. Oh, what if they mess up? Then fix. Then correct them. Like fix it. And now I'm not knocking anyone that can't do that because I struggle with the same thing, and I realize that I'm like, I will just do it myself before I go and bother somebody else or before I let them do it and fail. Like I'm just gonna do it myself. And because I realize that and I have enough self-awareness to realize that, I'm like, you know what? Instead of trying to grow to 1,500, how about we just do 15 churches of 100, <laughs> right? Yes, sir. So wow. the territorial thing, that's one. And I list, I send you uh, some notes on some of them. And I, and I don't want to sound critical when I'm saying these things. These are the things we're not supposed to talk about, but we all are talking about <laughs> Like everyone talks – one of the, my favorite things that um, I don't know if it's my favorite thing, but it was <laughs> it was something that got me like a little bit excited at general conference this year. I don't know if you had a chance to go or if you watched online. I was there. Yeah. Thursday. Oh, I wish we could have shook hands, man. I was there too. We drove eleven hours <laughs> to get there. You <laughs> I probably drove, flew. I, I drove more uh, than that. <laughs> oh, you drove too. Yeah. We should have carpooled. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Thursday night when Brother Bernard was like. I mean, he was hitting on some stuff that I'm like, things that I'm like, somebody needs to say something, but I don't feel like I have the authority to say, like, who's going to say the, and then he says, and I'm like, okay, now I can amen. Yeah. So, um, I mean, he touched on the territorial thing where he's like, there's a guy planting seven churches in his city. Like, obviously he felt like there was room, right? And so, and I know some people are still like knocking that. And I'm like, oh man, if you're, if you're still, in opposition to that, it's like maybe you need to take a look at yourself. And, I like I like um, that you said that. Um, I I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I think mm -hmm. that this has a place here. Um, even I mean the mm -hmm. whole the whole spirit I feel like of the whole conference was that the unity, the, the yeah. brotherhood, the connection, working together, working together, not against each other, and. Yeah. Uh, I remember near the end, I was having a conversation, and um, the, the gentleman said, he said, yep, all that stuff is great. He said, but the problem is, is only 20% are going to get on board. You know, I, I was talking to a, another church planner, and he, he had a similar sentiment, and I was like, you know what? Let's just plant churches around them. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my thought. Because I'm like, dude, we can, like, if I start the church that I start, we're going to create a culture from the beginning. That's like, dude, if somebody, if another person comes to Decatur and tries to plant a church, I promise you, I will go help them. I, I'm not just saying that, like I will go help them. Like I know 
together, two can put 10,000 to flight. I'm like, you know what? If somebody is coming to my church and they're like, oh, I think that one's closer, go to that one. I've had people call me and say, hey, I'm moving to the area. Um, Could we come visit your church? I'm like, absolutely. Where are you moving to? They're like, actually, I'm going to live right over here. I'm like, you know what? There's a bigger church that's going to have a youth service for your young people. Like, go to that church. Like, I'm not trying to just, you know, build my own kingdom here. Like Jesus said, if you'll seek his kingdom, he'll take care of everything else, right? And we're worried about having enough money to eat and and put clothes on our back and all. It's like, if you just, if you just seek his kingdom, he'll take care of all that. We should be able to teach Bible studies to people on Zoom on the other side of America and say, here, go to this church. Like if we start working like that, I, there's no reason why we can't have revival in America. And I believe I believe I feel a shift, like I said, from that Thursday night, he touched on the territorial thing. He touched on nepotism where it's and, and it's like, well, only my son can take over my church. And if he backslides, I got no transition plan. And it's and now it's like if the rapture doesn't come, this church is going to die. I'm planning a church indicator because s- several years ago, there was a church of over 200 here in this. city, And it was actually started by. um T.W. Montgomery or T.C. Montgomery, the one who started Tupelo Children's Mansion. Before he founded Tupelo Children's Mansion, he started a church in this city. Grew it to over 200. Handed it over to go start Tupelo Children's Mansion to a, a man here. That man, late into his eight golden years, would not hand that church over. His son was planning a church at the same time. Uh, about 25 minutes away and he saw he saw what was happening he's like dad you need to turn this over to a young man he's like i can't take it i'm already pastoring this church you need to find somebody to bring him in his dad wouldn't do it got down to about 10 people eventually he died the church is gone and it's like we're you know we're here planning a upc church because someone didn't have a transition plan in place and thought i can do this until i'm 100 it's like no like bring somebody in have a transition plan and but one thing that i that i do know is that if anything i've seen these things so that i don't do like i don't have that problem i'm not going to get to a place and that's what he did he started the church down in hartzell and then he brought someone in when he was in his mid-60s he brought someone in that was in his mid-30s and now that church is 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 getting close to 300 in a much smaller city and, like, how much bigger could the church in Decatur be if, if there was a transition plan in place? Wow. But, you know, like I said, we, we see we see these issues, and I take a middle note of them, and I'm like, all right, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not, not going to do that. And I, and I hope that I can stick to that. I hope that I don't get into a corner someday where I'm like, all right, I'm going to do these things I said I wouldn't do. And maybe there are some some elders out there that, that had that same idea as me in circumstances or whatever. I, I'm not trying to point fingers. I don't want to be specific or critical about any particular person, but it's like, I think if we can handle some of these issues, we're going to have revival in North America and we're going to be able to plant churches across the street from each other, like the Baptist churches. And, and it's like, we're going to give people more choices to go hear the truth like if we really have the, we really believe we've got the truth like we should be putting churches everywhere in california there's a there's you can go to a major intersection where i lived in san diego and there will be a starbucks on all four corners and if one of those corners has 
uh, a Vaughn's grocery store or a Target, uh, there's probably another Starbucks in there. You can't throw a rock and hit, not hit a Starbucks in Southern California. We got to get to a place like that with UPC churches. Wow. wow. <clears throat> and I feel like this is, I don't think we, we give this mindset that we're talking about here enough attention. This, uh, yeah. not, listen, I'm all for ministerial ethics too, bro. It's, I, yeah. I, I think it's important to be respectful of our elders, respectful Very. of the pastors around us, respectful of the men of God in our lives and, and in our communities. And absolutely. But we've gotten to a place where it's because someone left my church to go to mm. another local church or, or even a church that's 20, 30, 40, maybe even an hour away, 40 minutes to an hour away. They're going yeah. to a different church. And now what we do is we basically excommunicate them. Then we don't fellowship with them anymore. Yeah. We have people in leadership that are saying you, you can't, you can't associate with these people because they left here. I'm offended. And they're going there. Listen. Yeah. It's, it's holding on to people. That's on my list. Uh, <laughs> we got to hold on to people because it's like we're we're still, and I still think it goes back to what I was saying. What we're saying we're not successful until we have a church of a thousand, right? So if someone leaves my church, that's one less person getting me to my goal of a thousand. It's like if we, I honestly think if we fix that issue, all the other ones go away. Like all of them go away, and that's why one of the main things I wanted to talk to you about is let's 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 shift that mindset of hey I don't have to build a church of a thousand I build a church of a hundred and I'm successful like that's and guess what if I go out and use the campus ministry method or uh, not campus ministry but campus method campus ministry is something else (laughs) well you know what I mean the campus method daughter work method whatever like the Timothy method that I'm coming up, like whatever, use another plant more churches because here's what that does. When you, there's, there's only two ways to grow to a a thousand and reaching Austin documents how to do one of those ways. And it's by granting authority. Like you've got to get, you got to, he set up care groups and he put people over those groups. And he even said in the book, reaching Austin, brother Bernard said, like nothing came to me unless they couldn't handle it. Like it had to be a really big issue. They couldn't handle, but I gave them the authority to handle issues themselves. So you got churches today where they've got 10, 15 ministers sitting on the pew and like they're just clapping their hands of worshiping. They're not doing nothing as far as, you know, they might preach twice a year. They might get invited to, you know, some other church to go preach every now and then. But how much more could they be doing if if we made them into leaders of a hundred in in your inside your church so if you grant them power or authority in the church now you can have each one of them leading a hundred different people until you have 10 of them now you got a church of a thousand that's how you grow to a thousand by granting authority there's no other way if you're trying to do everything you got a person who is a web designer in your church, but you're still running the website. You got somebody that works for a major event planning corporation, but you're still planning the Christmas play. Like you're, you're not giving any authority to anybody. And then you're like, why can't we get past a hundred? It's that's why that's like, that's a flaw we all have. But I think the better way or 
I don't like to use the word better because I honestly think that that's a good method is to grant people authority and grow a church because a big church like New, New Life Austin has a huge impact on that area. So I, I think we need those things. But how much faster would it be to plant 10 churches at the same time and grow them to 100? Like, there's studies showing the fastest churches are the ones that are new churches and from zero to 100. Once they hit 100, that's they hit that wall, and everyone's trying to figure out what the wall is. The wall is you're not granting power. That's what it is. So if we could grow 10 churches to 100, we don't need to find a Brother Bernard-type leader, right? We don't need to go try to be one ourselves. We can just find any local minister and say, hey, you're a minister. You're called of God to preach. You can lead 100 people. Here's a church. Like, And if we did that, and, 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 they, and they're all in our city, which, right? Then we're yeah. like, hey, look at this. We got 10 churches in our town. All of us have 100 people in them. It's like, oh, there's not enough people. Then why are there 10 Baptist churches here? There's enough people, folks. Like, we, the problem is not the amount of people in your town. The problem is either you've got a grant power or you've got to plant churches. And that's why I call it the granting or plant. I'm not going to write a book on this one day. Granting or planting. That's the only way to get to a thousand. Either you grant authority to people in your church, like Moses had to do, right? He had to he had to divide it up, right? Like the, even the apostles said, we've got to find us find us some men full of the Holy Ghost. They're going to handle the business of the church. Like that's a biblical method for delegating authority. And if you do that, these disciples will be multiplied. Amen. If you don't do that, then you got to start planting other churches. And I think. There's some huge benefits to doing that because then you don't need to find David Bernard. You just need to find it. Hey, you got a license? All right, come here. Like, come on over here. Here's a church. Like, there's build it to 100, and you do 10 of those at the same time. Think about this. How many piano players are sitting in some of our large churches playing once every two months? Like, how how, how many NAM churches would kill for your fifth-string piano player? <laughs> it's like, like – you've got 17 singers and my wife is learning how to sing and play the piano as we go. Like we're, we're doing what we can do. And, 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 and that's, I'm not saying send me all your people. That's not where I'm at. Not a victim mentality. I'm just saying, listen, like if you took those people and put them into 10 other churches in your area and you grew them all to a hundred, now you got a thousand like you, like you thought you needed to be successful and you've also created a ministry opportunity. How many more ushers do you need? How many more greeters do you need? How many people do you need to clean those churches? How, how many more singers and piano players and drum? You've multiplied the ministry opportunities. And I also think you do it cheaper because a church that can seat 100 doesn't cost very much money. But to build a church, and he details in reaching Austin how much it costs to build those churches, you're going to build one church for your for the beginning and then once you outgrow that you're going to build another church and you're going to build another one you're going to build eventually the final new life austin campus was like 15 million dollars or something don't quote me on that it was it was a high number but it's like man i could build a church like i can get a middle building that can seat 100 people in it and and throw it up out here for like 100 grand right so it's like it's more cost i think it would be more cost effective plus it's an easier number to swallow because you can say hey we're trying to raise a building fund to build this middle building over here versus, hey, we're trying to build this multi-million dollar campus over here, right? So 
it just, I feel like that if we did that, how much faster could we plant churches, right? And then you take away the whole, I'm not successful because I didn't grow a church of a thousand. Like, no, you're successful because you, you grew 10 churches of a hundred. Which still granting ended up versus, being a thousand people. One way or the other. It's either granting or planting. One yes. of those two ways. But if you're not going to do either one of those, and then you're going to say nobody else can come here and do it either, I think that's that's a problem. Because now it's not his kingdom, it's your kingdom. And you're not, you're worried about, you know, him taking care of you like he said he would. And that's, I feel like that is one of the biggest inhibitors uh, or um roadblocks to uh, us having revival in North America. And it's coming though, because I'm not the only one thinking this way. There's other, other missionaries that are like, this is, this is how we're, we're doing. I, I, I was at a apostolic conference and I got, this is the way we were talking to other missionaries. And I was like, I don't talk like this outside of that circle, you know, or just to my wife or, uh, to I'll call up one of my buddies who's planting a church down near Birmingham, and we'll we'll have these kind of conversations. Um, and I was just standing there while my wife was checking the kids into the to the children's thing that night, and some guy was just happened to be standing by me, and I had these things on my mind. I just started saying them, and then I look over and realize he wasn't an AM missionary; he was actually a volunteer, and uh, he was actually a pastor from somewhere else who came in to volunteer. And when, but when I looked over at him, he had tears down his eyes. I'm like, what did I say? I'm sorry. He's he's like, no, he's just like, my generation, we would have never thought like you guys did. And he said, that's why revival is going to come through this generation of missionaries. He said, I would have never thought about turning my church over to somebody else and going and planting another church. Like, I would have never even, I, I would never have done that. We wouldn't do that. And he's like, but that's, and he started, I mean, his tears coming down his eyes. He's like, you guys are going to have revival because you're, you're not thinking the way we did. And he's, you know, he, that just touched me right there. I was like, it was, I didn't mean to even talk to him, but, but, uh, but I definitely, uh, is a moment I won't ever forget. Amen. Well, bro, this has been an absolutely incredible conversation. Likewise. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to what God's going to do. Um, and I appreciate you sharing your heart and your your knowledge and your your passion here, Timothy Project. This is this is an incredible um, idea, and uh, it's very scriptural. Um, and I, I believe that man, God's going to do some incredible things, man, through it. And uh, we're going to have to make sure you write that book. You'll have to publish yeah. it. You'll have to let me publish it. That's what you'll have to do. For sure. <laughs> and and these ideas are not my own. God gave them to me. I think he's given them to other missionaries. If you're like, oh, man, that seems like that would work here, I'm not going to get mad if you do it before me and faster than me and better than me. Like, do whatever you got to do for the kingdom of God. Amen. Well, brother, it has been an absolute blessing to me. So thank you so much for joining us on Apostolic Theory. Thanks I for having me, bro. This podcast is made possible because of listeners like you who are willing to bridge the gap. We now have a sponsorship program on our Anchor website in which you can become a monthly sponsor of $1, $5, or $10 a month. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook.
If you could make money with little to no investment, wouldn't you want to? I'm talking about creating a consistent and passive residual income. I'm talking about making money with little to no investment. So let me just say this. If you would like to know how to make money and invest your money and make a passive residual income, reach out to me at bm underscore c-r-o-o-k-e-r at outlook.com. That's bm underscore crooker at outlook.com. Let's make money together.